the heart of Shasha. Pulse 95. A story to tell. Pulse 95 Live. From cover to cover at the Sharjah International Book Fair. Good morning and welcome back to From Cover to Cover. I'm Ahmed Daoud with Omnia Saleh. And we've been conducting interviews with uh, authors participating at the Sharjah International Book Fair all day. And we're very delighted to have uh, a guest with us, a special guest, Brendan Rikes. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, Brendan, guest, thank you for coming as well. Uh, you write work that spans across different genres you've got horror you've got the supernatural you've got these mysteries talk to us a little bit about your work and how you started putting it together how did you get into what you're doing right now sure i guess i consider myself mostly a thriller writer like that's really what i wanted to do um there's a lot of different things books can do i really wanted to entertain i like sort of my books to be fast-paced i like them to be quick reads i most people spend two to three you know sittings with my book and then they they try not to put it down. That's sort of what I'm trying to do. And I like to like twists. I like people to not know what's going to happen. That's usually the, the promise I make with a book. Like you may not love just wrote, <laughs> but you're not going to guess how it's going to end. And that's really what I've been doing. But my, uh, my main area has always been uh, kid lit right now. I write for uh, children and uh, young adults. Uh, that's most of the work that I've done. And I've just really enjoyed sort of that general uh, age group as a, as a way to connect with readers. What aspect of that age group do you enjoy the most? Well, I enjoy just dealing with readers who are still purely interested in the books. And, you know, when you talk to kids in the 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old range, they really do connect with your work. Like, they take something away from it. And so, while the adult world is certainly fun and those <laughs> books are definitely entertaining, yeah. you know, it can be a lot less uh, rewarding, frankly. You know, it's a grind. We work a lot. We travel a lot. But if I get to be with readers that are kids, it sort of always energizes you. And you like showing them things that they haven't seen before, you know, stuff that they read for the first time. It, it can be really thrilling to, to see a kid see, experience the first twist in a book, <laughs> you know, and just be like, what? I never saw that coming. <laughs> it's like, that's the idea. Definitely. But one special thing about you is that you are definitely a lover for co-writing. Most of your books are co-authored with uh, different authors from different uh, spectrums. But what is it that makes you fall in love with co-writing with a fellow author rather than writing your own book, you know, solo? Yeah, I've done both. And I tell you, co-writing has its own unique appeal of uh, one thing I was saying that if you close the file when it's your turn and you open it up a day later and there's a new chapter in it, it's fantastic because the, <laughs> the project seems to be almost writing itself. But it's just working collaboratively, collaboratively with another author is a real challenge. It can take a lot of trust and patience, but it's also really rewarding because the product comes out a lot better. Mm. You know, I got into co-writing mainly because the first series I wrote was Virals, and I wrote it with uh, Dr. Kathleen Joan Reichs, no relation except for that's my <laughs> mommy. Uh, so it was a good way to break in, you know, and get things done. So it was also like a learning experience while I was writing my first series. Um, mm. And as the series went on, I took more and more ownership of the books until I then broke off and wrote my own series. How do you deal with arguments? Do you ever, you know, clash of ideas? Do they happen or uh, misunderstand? understandings maybe of how you process the thoughts and she processes or he processes it in a different way. How do you deal with these uh, discrepancies? Oh, absolutely. Like you have to have, and we learned to develop in my latest series, The Dark Deep, which I write with a wonderful author named Ali Kandi. Uh, we had to come up with strategies because we realized very quickly that it, we were having a little bit of a butting of heads and we didn't know how to sort of 
good mm. conflict resolution schemes. And so we developed a couple rules. Like the first was that we never text. We only talk live on the phone because <laughs> okay. we realized, yeah, text, you might think it's snarky when it's not intended to be. And so we would often realize that when we talk, we always realize, oh, we're friends. We like each other. So this is fine. And we would get along much more amicably as we'd go through the edit. So we never do anything on email or text. And then we just developed a rule where if we both had an idea and we absolutely couldn't come to agreement, we were at loggerheads with each other, mm -hmm. we would simply throw both out and we would have to write something completely new. So we never, our final solution was if we could not agree, then we neither one of us got to win. And that has turned out to be the best thing that we ever did because the inevitable third answer is always better than the other two. And I'm interested in the way that you put it together stylistically because two different people, that's two different sensibilities, two different approaches to language, to writing a sentence. How do you keep the whole thing cohesive, consistent, and give it that singular voice when it's two people working on it? It must be really challenging, right? It is, and that's a sort of a, a secret about collaborations that not many people notice. It's like, you see a lot of this in the young adult world where two authors will write a book together, but typically it's in first person, and typically they'll have two characters, and so they just divide the book in half. And one will write in one voice, and the other will write in the other, and they don't really have to sound similar because they are two distinct first-person voices. We wrote a middle grade book, which is generally, so we wrote in third person. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we did need a smooth narrator voice. We needed it to generally sound the same chapter to chapter. We do go inside, it's third person close, so we do go inside the character's heads alternating. I would write the boy chapters, she would write the girl chapters, and then we'd edit each other. But that's what we did. We just edited and overwrote, we didn't track changes, and we would just keep writing it until basically both agreed and couldn't remember who'd written what sentence. And eventually we came to a narrator voice that sounds the same. But it took a lot of basically writing over each other. We, at first, were trying to keep sandboxes and we realized it wouldn't work. So we just made one big one. And, you know, I would think, actually, at one point I made a mistake. I told her after a chapter, I said, you know, this is really good. This joke you wrote is really funny. <laughs> and she said, that's great, Brendan, but you wrote that joke two drafts ago. Oh, like, my God. I was like, well, it was still a good joke. <laughs> um, I'm interested to know, and I think everyone is looking forward to know, what does a day in your writing process look like? How do you start your writing process and how does it end? So I, there's a spectrum of planners in the writing community and I am to the far, far, as far as you get planner of, uh, of the spectrum. I, I am an outliner. I do a 20 page single spaced outline of the entire book with a paragraph on each chapter before I start. But then I take it a step further and I actually have two three now, excuse me, double-sided six-by-six whiteboards in my office. And so I divided into the number of chapters and then I storyboard mm. all of the chapters. And then I made magnets so I can track my story elements oh. going through by color. And so wow. I put the magnets when I'm dealing with a subplot or a particular emotion I want to track. And I, I have all of this done. It takes me about two months before I write a word. And there are other authors that look at that and literally like break out into hives. They think it's the worst <laughs> thing that they've ever seen. They can't imagine doing all of this work. They're like, when do you actually write the book? But then I write very fast because I've had it. That's I've done most of the planning. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of writing. Everybody has a different method going on. We've had an author come in and say they transcribe entire novels. They really, literally use the sound recorder and speak into the novel and then they write it down later. So there's really no right or wrong way to do it, right? No, there absolutely isn't. I mean, my way is the right way, but I'll say, <laughs> politically, I'll say there's no wrong way. But I know an author who wrote his entire first novel on his phone as he would commute on the train in and wow. out of work. And that's how he reads. So to me, that sounds bananas. I can't even imagine yeah. trying to do that with one finger on a you know, but he wrote a whole book that way. And so there's no real wrong way if it works. Um, a great author named Stephanie Perkins does outline, but she outlines by one word each. And it's mm. basically an emotion that she wants to go through the book. She wants this to 
and that is, I mean, to me, that's useless. But to her, she writes you know, fantastic novels, so to each their own. I mean, that's the beauty of writing. But, you know, speaking of the way you map your writing process, do you plan out uh, how the characters are going to develop over time? Or are you, do you get to know the characters as you write? Uh, because, I mean, that's definitely a different uh, strategy that every writer follows. Some know exactly what the beginning of the character is going to be and what the end is going to be. So what is your way? I generally do know what the character's going to do because I usually base my characters around their flaw. Mm-hmm. I find out what I'm going to write that's wrong with them. and. They never recognize the flaw in the beginning of the book, but it holds them back as they go through the challenges. And their story to me is basically them identifying their flaw, being able to integrate it and overcome it. And so they're a better, different person by the end of the book and therefore able to overcome the challenges that they weren't previously. So to me, I have to know what's wrong with the character. I don't really care what their name. I once wrote a draft that had six girls named Sarah in it until I, my editor was like, you know you're going to have to fix that, right? Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll put some other names in there. <laughs> but um, I do care about like basically what's wrong or broken that makes them not function as well as they should. Because I think if you write flawless characters, you're already boring me. And if I know what a character is going to do in every situation, including the right thing in every situation, you're already boring me. So I want a character that makes bad decisions, uh, but then at least has to learn why. So the motivation is the most important part, and that comes down to sort of what's flawed in their character. And so that's how I build them. There's no right way, but that's my way. <laughs> I'm interested in how or where you draw these um, stories from, your sources of inspiration. Like, let's talk about the Dark Deep series. How does that come together? What inspired you to put it together? Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely, because we have, you know, clear inspiration was from the 80s. We were both, uh, Ali Kandi and I were both attending an MFA program, which is a master's in creative writing, and it was specifically for children and young adults. Mm -hmm. And at the time, we were watching Stranger Things all the time. Oh. And it just, you know, we were both reminiscing about our childhood in the 80s and, you know, these groups of kids that would just go out and do things. And my favorite movie from that era is The Goonies, which is another group of kids going out and solving, you know, a mystery and having an adventure. And we always would laugh that, you know, in the 80s, parents loved their children so much less than they do today because they did not care what we did at any time. Like when I was a little boy growing up in Charlotte, I would just leave at nine in the morning and I was not expected back until dark. It wasn't even a time. It was just a light level. And as long as I beat that light level, they didn't ask me what I was doing all day because that's how it was. There was no texting or emails or cell phones or anything. And so you had complete freedom. You know, t- today's kids, they don't have that, you know, because their parents love them a lot more and they want to know where they are generally hour by hour. Yeah. But my parents, uh, oh boy, I'm going to do a panel with my mother later. I hope she doesn't hear this. Um, you know, we wanted to capture that freedom. And so that was the inspiration with a little bit of the paranormal magic that's in Stranger Things and a little bit of the adventure from the Goonies, but also to make it our own. Like we wanted our own idea. Mm. So when we came up with this idea of a, a well that scans your minds and whatever you're thinking of comes to life on an island with you. And it goes from fun to very, very not fun. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of how we put it together. It seems to be uh, a common theme to young adult fiction is the sense of freedom, children going out on their own and, and really taking control. That must appeal to a lot of kids as well. And I know you've been uh, doing the rounds, speaking to kids here. Can you talk to us about that experience and how the response has been so far? Sure. I went to, and please forgive me if I mispronounce it, al Khalij uh, National School uh, mm. and did a visit. And they are some of the most brightest brightest most engaged kids I've ever dealt with like it was a wonderful experience and I really like going into schools it it sort of recharges me it gets me back to the readers there's a lot of other things involved in publishing that they don't tell you 
uh, that you learn slowly. And I'm over a decade in, and so I sort of can get a little jaded with some of the marketing that you're supposed to do. And you're often on the road and, you know, staying in hotels night after night. And then there's a lot of the social media responsibilities. It's just less than fun uh, to be on Instagram all day when I'd like to be writing a book. But uh, going in to see the kids is really like, that's who you're writing for. You know, they're not the ones, they're reading it because they truly enjoy your work. And so every time I do a school visit, I feel like I know again why I write. Mm-hmm. for who I write. Definitely. Thank you so much, Brandon Rikes. It's been such an honor speaking to you. Great tips uh, for all aspiring authors out there. But cover to cover might be ending, but the activities that are happening at the Expo Center are definitely not because we're going to actually, Ahmed and I are going to head to watch the live traditional Mexican ballet that's been happening every half an hour uh, since 4 p.m. And uh, you can definitely head here and enjoy it. There's a lot of activities happening by the Mexican pavilion. Uh, we're definitely going to go head there and see what was what is there to check out. That's right. Lots to look forward to. Wrapping things up for from cover to cover. Thank you to the listeners for joining us. Thank you to Brendan Reichs for being Thank with us. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. It's been a delightful conversation. Wish it was longer. But uh, yes, uh, tomorrow we'll be back. Uh, Life Beats 10 to 12 for live from the Sharjah International Book Fair. And we'll be playing... Uh, the interviews with Steve Harvey and Orhan Pamuk and more. So stay tuned to Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95.